I actually caught that. I was going to count you down, but I caught it. Um, hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Yours is really quiet, yeah, David. Can you turn it up? I don't know if it's a turning up situation. Try that. Go. Hello. That's, oh, better. that's better. Yeah, yeah so there you we go. can turn it up. I, I'm still learning. Turn it up, turn me on. Turn it up. Um, the good thing is we have fun. Yes, we do. We don't know what we're doing, but we're trying. Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's... Mm. Damn. That <laughs> Whole milk. Skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? <laughs> um, welcome to our second episode of Age Like Milk podcast. I'm Paris Abitela. And I'm David William Rogers. Oh, you're going by three names now. I, 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 Do you it, feel left out? It kind of, yes, but then it just was like, you know, it seemed right, so I went with it. I love that. Um, so, yes, this is Aged Like Milk podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, today's movie is... Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961, directed by Blake Edwards and based off a Truman Capote novel. I thought it was a short story. Or novella. Novella. Yes, yes. Amazing. David, uh, was this your first time seeing? It was. It was. Yes, this and was my first time. <laughs> well, we'll get into our thoughts and process. <laughs> yeah. We decided, you know, we got to keep this format correct. <laughs> President correct. So this movie stars who? Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And her character's name is Holly, and she lives in New York City. Holly Golightly. Mm-hmm. And her love interest? Is George, is it Peppard? I don't know. And he plays Paul. Paul Verjack? Yes. Ver- I, I don't want to mess up his, his name. Um, okay. Well, let's start off the podcast by saying quickly what this movie is about. Do you want to ch- have a crack at the synopsis or you want me to do? You go first. I'll go second this time. Okay. Uh, this is a movie about a wild young woman who cannot be tamed living in new york city she belongs to no one no one belongs to her she's a party girl some might say more than a party girl we will get into that and a handsome young man moves into the apartment upstairs and they form a friendship and then they fall in love at the last moment it looks like she might leave him abandon him to move to south america i just bumped my mic oh well um but she doesn't and they fall in love in the rain and it's called Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I'm 90% convinced that this was just a two-hour ad for the Tiffany brand. <laughs> well, what do you think? What's so, this? Well, now nobody, we save some people some time. They don't have to see that movie now. Um, I would say young woman growing up in New York, or not even growing up, living in New York, um, has some commitment issues and some Major. financial <laughs> troubles <Major. laughs> and she just um you know she wants to be free and doesn't want to be attached to anything gets in some mischief and falls in love in the rain and yeah and then uh movie over movie over <laughs> classic classic i love you you belong to me no people don't belong to people of course they do I'm not going to let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. Audrey Hepburn and George Papard, searching for love in the big town, but sharing only part of their lives until they find the deep, warm moment of truth that can't be hidden, even by the oddball antics on the brittle surface of New York. 
Yeah, well, welcome to Age Like Milk podcast. Of course, this is a podcast where we talk about movies that have potentially aged like milk, like that milk you forgot about in the back of your fridge. It's gone a bit bad, maybe. Started off good. And then just over time, just curdled a little bit. So, David, what curdled in this movie? Um, I will start with... There's, there's a major one. I'll probably just throw you that softball a little later or you can jump into it. But one that I, that kind of popped out to me that might not seem like a big deal is the cigarette smoking. And as watching it, I'm thinking, you know, another 50 years from now, if it's still popular, iconic or whatever, and cigarettes are less and less, you know, in normal day life, just seeing them in her hand. And there's that one scene in the taxi where uh, Paul jumps out and, uh, and they cut back to her and she's got, she's got a cigarette, cigarette in her hand. It's just like weird spots in the movie where she's smoking cigarettes that even in real life, even if you were like a legit cigarette smoker, you wouldn't just pop off and, you know, have one randomly at that time in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like in her hand all the time maybe like cigarette lobbyists were like nah we need it yeah you need or, it. you need it in 15 different scenes maybe in 1961 people just really were smoking that much yeah i know they were smoking that much i'm just saying it's just it's every scene. like weird spots yeah. in the storyline where it's like she just they framed away and she fr- framed back and she has a, she's smoking a cigarette right, they don't, you don't see and it's it like what yeah like where did that even come from um you know so that kind of Well, it's funny because in the last, so the last episode was about She's All That, Mm -hmm. and you also referenced, you noticed that the high school kids were smoking cigarettes a lot. So obviously, I don't know if that's because you used to smoke. I don't think you ever smoked cigarettes. never was a cigarette smoker. you definitely, something you noticed. Yeah. Is that because you're an actor and you like might have to smoke on camera? Like Could be. And it. It's more that these things stick out to me. It mm-hmm. could have been anything. Mm-hmm. It's just that's a weird placement for that. That doesn't seem right. doesn't fit there. And that always, like, irked me when watching movies. You know, like a random Coca-Cola can or mm. something like that. I don't know if we're going to get sued for talking about Coca-Cola. but I mean, this movie is called Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Maybe they'll send you some necklaces. Maybe. But, you know, it's always, like, little things like that. Um, like, ad placement in a weird spot or a weird time. It's like, okay, that wasn't necessary. Yeah. Um, that's, it definitely was a lot of smoking, like, I think, to insinuate. Because I think at this time, you couldn't really show sex scenes. Like, there's a... Obviously, so the character Paul has, like, an older lover woman. And, you know, then he, like, wakes up and smokes a cigarette. I think that was a a sneaky way of people back then kind of expressing that, like, post-sex was a thing. Yeah, that was uh, Patricia Neal's character. Nice. Um, She was, like, what, a designer or something like that? Yeah, she was obviously married to a very wealthy man Mm -hmm. and was, like, an interior designer. And she, like basically is a he's a kept man yeah and she's like the lover which is interesting because both of the characters were doing that yeah and i don't know if we want to call uh holly or audrey hepburn's um character a sex worker because you never actually saw her um doing the sex exactly (laughs) doing the sex Um, bumping uglies exactly um she was always um leaving somebody at the doorstep closing the door end of night um, yeah, but you know the fifty dollars for the powder room, mm-hmm. as she told Paul when she meets him, and um, that was actually yeah, that was probably like the biggest thing on mine. I mean, in a sense, they are both kind of sex workers unofficially. Like he's more of a kept man, she's more of like a party girl. They never overtly yeah. say it, but yes, the fifty dollars for the powder room, um, 
she definitely always has men over, you know. That was something that really kind of irked me, I think. Like, I've read a bunch of articles about this movie. Some people would debate that it's a feminist movie. Here's a woman living in the city by herself, like, making it work, blah, blah, blah. I would say, and I would consider myself a feminist, that it kind of annoyed me throughout this movie how men were kind of, like, always stepping in to help her. And, like, you know, part of that was also, yeah, having the guys over and, like, them sort of using language like, come on, baby, I bought you dinner. Like, don't you think that entitles me to something? It was very, like, ugh. Bit... Yeah, a little cringy. A little and tense. So that, you could say, that definitely aged like, <laughs> like milk. milk. Yes. Because, um, yeah, that's, uh, you can't, you, I mean, you should have done it then, but can't really do that now. Expect something just because. Yeah, no, you definitely. Took somebody to dinner or drinks or something yeah. like that. Would you, do you think then that they're, um, are they on the same level like sex work wise i mean not really because i don't not- think so i think she's more of like a hustler yeah right um she knows what she's doing she's intelligent as far as all that research she has that one guy comes into the party and she's mm-hmm. like well he's the fifth, fifth richest man in america mm-hmm. and then she figures out the guy from south america and that he's actually rich so it's like she kind of does her research on who's who she has that socialite friend that just is like hammered at the party the and model. like fall over yeah um, i think i don't know i think it's funny that you think that they made her like look intelligent because i think they really made her look quite dumb in some ways you know definitely like very what's the right word very like happy-go-lucky and like didn't seem to really care and like was willfully stupid you know like she was going to that's something that like hasn't aged very well is like she was really like a criminal like she was passing information to the mafia guy um the weather report and like even you could tell like paul's character was a bit like what what are you doing? See, but are you sure she doesn't know that? I'm not saying they, they portrayed her like mm-hmm. as intelligent. I'm saying um, to do what she was doing, she has to have to a little game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, that's 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 smart. She was definitely she, yeah surviving she defi- in the city totally without having you know have to, having to sell her body. And well, from what we saw on screen, yeah. But, but yes, no, I agree. I think she. Um, that's my dog in the background. I could, you could totally hear him on the last podcast, by the way. He'll just make a random appearance. Yeah, Ollie's a good dude. Uh, Ollie's a good dude. Um, no, I, I think, yeah, maybe you're right. She definitely was a hustler, like you said, always being aware of who the rich guys were. She had a lot of older men around. Um, she very much reminded me of like women who just kind of like fall into like lucky situations, but they've kind of put themselves there. Yeah. Like she was obviously, you know, dressed well and hanging out at the right places, and she seemed to have a new wealthy dude every night yeah and who was that manager she knew that like got her out of oh, the, the jam. agent yeah so she had she yeah. you know she knew successful people that was a weird story though because i think in the party scene so holly go lightly hosts a party she invites her upstairs neighbor down it turns into like a whole thing it's where she meets the fifth richest man in the world and whatever or fifth richest man in america um yeah and the agent is there and he says that he found her and then he like was going to send her to do a screen test. I think he was meant to be the Hollywood executive, like yeah. the tr- traditional. Cause at the very end he's like taking these calls from his bed and he like mm-hmm. bails her out of jail. And, um, but yeah, she definitely was well connected, which is interesting because of where she came from, which do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, remind me, was it, it was it Alabama? It uh, was, I don't think they ever say where she's from, Okay, but they definitely like, I, the articles I was reading online described her as a hillbilly, which I don't know if that's an offensive term, but she definitely came from like a farm-like mm-hmm. background. Yeah. You know, there was like all these children. 
Um, kind of fucked up. And by kind yeah. of, I mean extremely. He talks about how she was 14. 14 when they got married. When they got married. Yeah. Child bride. Yeah. And That's not okay. Not okay. And then he came back to like claim her and... Uh, she, he's so much older than her brother was coming home and yeah. well I'll just tell him not to come home then yeah. if you don't come home with me yeah, yeah. she has a brother Lulu that she May. loves deeply who's in the army and I was trying to think in 1961 uh, this was set in 1961 like present day what army like what wars were they fighting um yeah that's that's valid uh, I'm not sure what when was conflicts Viet- we were going Korea? on Korea Vietnam Probably could be Korea, I'll have but to it look wasn't. It Viet- I don't think it was. Vietnam was Vietnam. later, I thought, in yeah, the seventies. Yeah, late sixties and the seventies. But yeah, so she's got this brother that she loves deeply, named Fred, and she ends up calling the guy upstairs Fred because he kind of looks like her brother. Which yeah, is Paul's character. A little bit, just super weird. A little bit incestuous. Yeah. But um, yeah, so the her ex husband Doc go lightly threatens to write him and say, "Don't come home." sign up for another tour and she's like devastated and he kind of tries to blackmail her into coming back to this farm where she obviously wasn't happy at all. No. And had no life. No. Lula, Lulu. Lula May. Lula May. Yeah. And she did, I mean, you could tell how she acted in New York when you found that piece out where she's from in her background and, you know, had to marry a guy when she was 14 and to had to raise his kids. Yeah. Um, I wonder how so old the kids were supposed to be because... It looked like a family picture, like she was a daughter yeah. at first uh, when they show it. But even he kind of says, uh, Doc Golightly, so her ex-husband says to Paul that, I don't know why she ran away. Uh, the children did all the housework. She just had to do nothing. And it's like, she is a child. Yeah. With children. How old are these children doing the housework? Like exactly. eight years old? Yeah, I mean, well, maybe <laughs> could be. Oh, yeah, yeah, that so. was really creepy and gross. Yeah, I don't know that that dude popped in, and I was like, uh, "Where is this guy coming from? What's, <laughs> What's the story?" Yeah, yeah. Because originally, Paul's lover, the older woman who like has him set up, she thinks that because they look out the window and they see the guy standing, standing there, like the watching. Post. Yep. They think that it's someone that the husband, her husband has sent to like spy on them. Yeah, to see what's going on. And then his, his plan is to go walk around to see what's going on. Yeah, so he walks and then the guy just follows him. So that was kind of weird to me as far as the storyline goes, you know, oh, I'll I'll figure this out. So something that really bothered me, I wrote it down, something that aged like milk. Um, Doc Golightly buys a pack of cigarettes from the Central Park, uh, convenience store or whatever that thing would be called like Mm -hmm. the stand he immediately throws litter on the ground i wrote down (laughs) it was at 4605 he just like buys a pack of cigarettes and he tosses it on the ground as he walks away i also thought this was something that aged like milk i wrote down all the prices for the things that you could buy at the stand (laughs) um you could get a pinwheel for 26 cents you could get a cracker jack animal box for 15 cents you get peanuts and popcorn for 10 cents you could get a monkey doll there for 52 cents. I like paused it and was like reading the things. Um, and I actually looked it up and uh, what, so, if, you know, Cracker Jack is still around. I know what that is, although mm-hmm. I recently discovered it. Um, so it was 15 cents back in the day, which would now be a dollar twenty nine, which I Googled. Which inflation? Well, I Googled it and it's like a box of Cracker Jack would be like a dollar thirty nine. So oh, I was happy gotcha. to see that the prices were reasonable yeah just interesting so i mean and that's a mer- um, very big point in the story with the cracker jack box because that's where he finds the, the ring. ring that he gives her now i said immediately that 
that would be a choking hazard. Like how many little kids died? That's something that has a, because I think in Australia, one of my favorite candies is called Kinder Surprise. Yeah. And I think they're banned here. I mean, because they have little toys inside and Americans are stupid and might eat them. That's what I'm saying. Somebody just pops that box open, doesn't like reach in hands and just takes it to the head and then they're chewing on stuff and they got a, a, a wedding band in there. A wedding band that you could have gotten engraved at Tiffany's. At Tiffany's. Which he does. Which is literally watching that movie, um, you know, I'm like thinking about all like plot holes, this, that, whatever. It it goes through my head when I watch movies. But that whole scene from when they go into Tiffany's, like I was just full in. And I thought it was like a really cute kind of cool scene. And they're negotiating and like playing off each other well. It's like, well, you only have $10. What can we get for $10? And even the salesman was, you know, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, sir, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do here. Um, And they had the silver um, phone dialing pin. That's right. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what can I do with this? And he's like, oh, maybe we can engrave it even though you didn't buy it from here. Yeah. yeah. He is a sweet so character. So I, I like that. And I even said, I was like, yeah, I really like that scene. Um, $10 in 1961 would have been the equivalent of $86 and the 23 cents right now. So I think it actually ended up costing like six twenty-five or something okay. he said. Yeah. But like, so their budget going into Tiffany's was like $85. Yeah. Like so if you went there now, do you think you could get something? Um, aren't, so when we were in high school, and if story my, time. If my buddies had like a girlfriend or like around there, and like it was going kind of serious, they get like the necklace with the letter, like the oh, initial. Okay. Yeah. And I think those are around like a hundred bucks. So, so that's mean, what you'd that's, get. You that go. could be, yeah. I, I I'd have to fact check that, but um, so possibly. I don't know. Have you ever gotten anything engraved? Uh, I've I've had something engraved. I think I had a Tiffany's necklace. I think, to be honest, it was a knockoff one from Hong Kong. Oh, okay. I don't think it was a real one. but Because yeah. um, I used to live in Hong Kong and, and get pretty much everything over there. But I think that's what makes me think that it was, like, such an ad for Tiffany's. Like, you know, she that opening scene is, like, iconic as fuck. Yeah. Where she eats the pastry outside the window. Which was weird because I immediately said, who puts coffee in a bag? <laughs> was the coffee inside yeah. the bag? Yeah, she pulls out the donut, uh, I think. And no, then it's she, like a croissant. Yeah, the croissant. And then she pulls out the coffee. And, and I was like, it. interesting. Yeah, that seems like a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. But, but maybe back in the old Unless days. Unless they knew, but that, well. you know, today that might save from those little carton. Maybe. Because if the donut's already in there and coffee can fit too, might as well, you know. But that's a super iconic scene of her like walking up, you know, dressed in that like black dress and then she looks through the window and I don't know. The whole thing where it's like nothing bad happens at Tiffany's. I just don't think, I mean, that is something that's also aged like milk for our generation. Like I just don't think diamonds hold the same allure. But she didn't like diamonds. She said she didn't like diamonds (laughs) because she couldn't afford it. I think she was like... Okay, that's an interesting take. You think she was like didn't like him i thought she was yeah she was saying if you're under 40 i think that's just something she was saying to paul to make him feel better like how old do you think she was supposed to be in the movie um i don't know but i did look it up she was 31 the actress yeah audrey Hepburn. see i was guessing like 25 ish oh i thought older than that older than that yeah yeah, I don't know. Around like 27, 28, very Sex in the City-ish. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit Sex in the City-ish, yeah. except she didn't really have any female friends at all, except for like yeah. the randos that showed up to the party. One of those randos. Fun fact. Dorothy Whitney. Okay. Mag Wildwood. She's the one with like that white fluffy head. Uh-huh. She's the one that brought the South American guy Yeah, um, to the party. And I, she, do you want to know how long she lived? Yeah. How many years? Do you want to take a guess? 110? 
She died at 43 from acute alcoholism. Holy shit. I was like, shit. she really took that character to heart. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's really sad. Super sad. Oh, I was like man. looking at some of these characters and they, some of these people in this movie didn't make it that long. Yeah, you said that. You said you like Googled everyone, everyone yeah. was dead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. some of them live longer and they're still dead, but right. there's a lot of them that didn't didn't make it past like 65. Yeah, uh, So that was kind of interesting. We got to talk about the most age-like milk yeah. thing. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah, you can kick that off. Okay, this movie has probably one of the most racist representations of a person of Asian descent that I have ever seen in my life. Yep. And I knew it did because I saw this movie in film school. I, I didn't go to traditional film school. I went to, I did like, I studied film, like the art of film and like analyzing film. So we watched a lot of movies from this era, you know, Hitchcock, all these guys. And I remember even in 2008 when I was watching it and I'm like a dumb 21 year old, I was like, this is bad. Oh, this is bad. It's uh what did you think seeing it for the first no, time? It's super fucking, <laughs> fucking racist. Um, I was literally like kind of in awe. So the first time I experienced this scene um, was a film about Bruce Lee's life. Mm. So he, in the movie, um, I think it's called Dragon. And, uh, you know, the guy playing uh, Bruce Lee takes his girlfriend and she's Caucasian. They go to the movies, uh, like in San Francisco where they met. And they're sitting there watching this movie, and it's Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it's in that, the movie they're watching. The movie. They're watching, yeah, they're watching Breakfast at Tiffany's in the movie. And um, and this is, you know, this is based on Bruce Lee's true, like real life. And so he had to sit there and watch, you know, on this monster screen, uh, Mickey Rooney with these fake teeth and the glasses and the, the hair accent. and the accent, and it's so fucked up. Yeah, it was so fucked up. So, mm-hmm. what's the commentary then in the Bruce Lee movies? He just, just like, a like no, he's just sitting there, like everybody's laughing, and he like not saying like oh shit like how we saw it and just didn't say much probably and yeah. I was like wow that's fucked up it's crazy because like you know there are so many amazing Asian actors and there's a huge thriving Asian film scene um, especially like growing up in Hong Kong I saw movies being shot on every it was like LA like you know mm-hmm. how sometimes we walk down the street and like you can't get through because there's people actually shooting like yep. a Tarantino movie here Yeah, I think I was at the, like a bar and we saw all these like fake signs and someone was like, oh, they're shooting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there. And then like a year later it comes yeah, out. It comes it's out. cool. Super cool. Same yeah. with Hong Kong. But imagine being an Asian actor and watching this. Like yeah. it's yellow face to the max. For sure. Yeah, he was uh, mimicking somebody of uh, Japanese descent. And yeah. I don't know if he was just a tenant there or if he was like the property manager, but she kept ringing his doorbell. And um, one of the articles I read was like, this scene doesn't even need like, this character doesn't even need to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. What is this for? Other Mm -hmm. than you think that's comic relief at the time, but it's not super fucking racist. I think I probably read a similar article where it said like, they just kept it in for comic relief. And like a lot of Mickey, it's Mickey Rooney, right? Mm -hmm. The actor. Yeah. So a lot of it's very exaggerated, like him falling down. It's like making fun of his accent. The fake teeth was ridiculous. Like there's a motorbike outside. Let's just pause. (laughs) People hooting around. Um, yeah, I was really offended by it, to be honest. And I'm, I can only imagine what other people watching it would be like, but that was okay back in the day to have a white person play someone of this ethnicity. Yeah. Um, and I've laughed at stuff where in movies where it's supposed to be fucked up, you know? And I say to them, like, you kind of laugh yourself like, oh man, that's super fucked up. And you know it is. But with this was like so bad. Um, I was just like, like, Wow you know yeah and, and they, there's literally nothing they don't make any good commentary 
the one scene towards the end they have him in like a steam bath like bathing himself it was just there's one part where he's like the buzzer like stops it like he gets distracted while he's pouring tea like it was just very very negative towards japanese people like i'm saying it wasn't even necessary it wasn't racist just to be racist and it's you could have cut this whole character out and it wouldn't have made a big difference same movie same movie same movie yeah i wonder why they made that decision and I even saw one of the ladies at the party was of Asian descent. Yeah. Gorgeous woman. And then, you know, and I think I saw one black guy in the movie. Oh, there was one. Yeah, the librarian was black. I <laughs> yeah, that's the guy right. that gave out the yeah, card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so. like, oh, so diverse. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, you know, he was like, yeah, I made it. You know? <laughs> he was like, Mom, yeah. I'm in this Audrey Hepburn movie. <laughs> Yay. Uh, we're really doing it. We're doing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty bad as far as yeah. You played the only non-white character, I believe, in the film with lines. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And not a great portrayal. No. And also, like they kind of even like the characters in the movie kind of made fun of him. Like she was, you know, he was obviously like an artist. Like let's talk about the redeeming things about this, which are, there obviously weren't very many of this horribly racist portrayal, but like. You know, they gave him, like, he was an artist. He had, like, famous models coming up to him. And they just made him look like a bumbling idiot. And, like, Holly Golightly, the character, was always like, thank you. And just, like, really condescending to him as well. Mm. It was so bizarre. I don't I don't really get the cultural relevance of having it in. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, director, producer, <laughs> you know, whoever was like, yeah, this, this, this is going to kill. This will bring people to the theater because oh you're adding that name. And Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Um, but uh, didn't do it for me. Didn't do it for me. Mr. Go right Okay, so jumping back into the film, mm-hmm. uh, one thing that I noticed was that the animal in the film, the cat, was not cat. His name's Which cat. His name was, yeah, cat. He's very. not treated very well. <laughs> you know, my boyfriend was just kind of wandering past as I was watching the end of this movie. And he's like, did she just throw that cat up on the window? I'm like, yeah. Yep. And then we were just chatting when we were grabbing more drinks because can't do this podcast without alcohol. <laughs> and you said, uh, yeah, they squish him at the end. Yeah. Not so, like the, he doesn't die, don't worry. So they hop out of the taxi after he throws a ring at her and um, kind of yelling at her for being a coward, I guess, and not giving in to anything and not committing to anything and she always running away from her problems and they go and the rain is super ridiculous. I laughed at that. Whatever the rain guy was, you know, he needs to be fired. They were like more rain. Yeah. <laughs> he's more like, rain. Here it comes. It looks like it's just like plastered on their faces, but <laughs> they like hug and kiss and she's looking for cat and she's saying, Oh cat, where are you cat? Where are you cat? And then she looks over and he's poking his head out of like some crates and she jumps in Paul's arms with Cat, and they kiss, and you can see this head. Cat is like, This cat is being squished, like, between their chests. Yeah. And the first thing I said, I just started laughing. I was like, man, that cat's fucked up. 
Right. I just thought the cat looked so pissed to be so wet. He's like, this yeah. was not in my contract. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the cat was cute throughout the thing. He was pretty well trained. Yeah. They probably beat the shit out of him. It's probably some terrible story. If it's the only cat, they probably used it was like five or cat. six cats. No, I looked at the end. It was one credited cat. Yeah, that they told you about. Uh-oh. Yeah, you know, like what they do with like Airbud. Not no. sure if that's exactly true, but you can't reference a movie unless you know the exact. Nah, it's story. funny because it's it's probably true, but you know, like the animal cruelty, like with training dogs and stuff like yeah. that. And um, maybe it was Old Yeller. I'll look it oh, up quick. But yeah. they like they like go through a couple different animals in some of these. It's like they, I think Old Yeller. They tried to like have the dog fight a bear like multiple times. Oh god. I'm sorry. Is he all right? Sure, sure. He's okay, Auntie Cat. Poor old cat. Poor slob. Poor slob without a name. The way I look at it, I don't have the right to give him one. We don't belong to each other. We just took up by the river one day. I don't even want to own anything until I can find a place where me and things go together. Anyway, we looked it up. We couldn't find it, but there have been a lot of animals well, hurt. Yeah, we I mean, did Cat find wasn't... some other other yes. films where we won't get into it. Well, I'll just these. name I'll just name one, but this is kind of shocking to be honest because it wasn't that long ago. But The Hobbit, um, it said that. Uh, the creatures, including sheep and goats, died of awful causes, including dehydration, exhaustion, and drowning. Um, despite the deaths, the American Humane Association didn't further investigate and eventually gave the movie a carefully worded seal of approval. So I don't know what that means, but don't mistreat animals on set. Yeah, they kind of just throw the cat around a little bit. Just like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. See a cat. And he gets really wet at the end. And you were saying that the rain at the end was really... It's, it's too much. A lot. Yeah. It's way too Elaborate. Much. Okay, so, I mean, it's like somebody getting douched, like, at a water park <laughs> in a wave pool. <laughs> I mean, I've, from Wisconsin, we've had some pretty big thunderstorms. and Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Yeah, she was, like, dripping wet. <laughs> and she was dripping, and it was, like, flooded. Yeah, it's like she was in a hurricane or something like that in it's, New York. I it's mean. funny to see the New York that they kind of portrayed from the 1960s, because couple things we were talking about yeah like there was like no black people which i'm fairly certain was inaccurate because at least that one dude got the librarian role librarian. you know yeah not <laughs> really really proud of you bro yeah that's, no that wasn't like typecast right times i guess he wasn't singing a rap about yes prom queen <laughs> on the side of the road um but there wasn't really any diversity it was also like you know, everybody was super well dressed, which I guess in the 60s and 70s, like people dressed a lot more carefully, mm-hmm. 50s. But it was also like not as dirty. Like New York now is really dirty. Yeah. Not as dirty, I think, as like I've heard it was in like the 80s and 90s. But I wonder if that's, if that's accurate then. Because that's, is it Manhattan? I'd assume. I suppose it's yeah. meant to be Manhattan, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, is Manhattan cleaner? I don't know. And, uh, other, like, I just boroughs. thought New York was like went through a real interesting transition phase in the nineteen nineteenth century, twentieth century. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the rain was excessive, mm-hmm. and it didn't pretty much rain in any other part of the movie. I think there might have been one scene where you kind of saw a little bit of rain against the. Yeah, and I, I don't mind the rain. You know, you got that that scene where it's turbulent and the rain kind of speaks to it and elevates it, where 
they break up and they're getting back together. And yeah. It's, I fucking love you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let's do this. And then no, actually, his case. words are, you belong to me. Yes. Before he gets out of the taxi. And that was something we both had. And I was like, well, belong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. He actually says it twice. I think I wrote it down. Earlier in the movie. Early in the movie. Yeah. He it's says, like, I love you. You belong to me. And he says it so. Yeah. Like. It's a matter of fact. And yeah. She's like, hold on. And it was like a right, like to him. But I don't think the opposite of her being a free spirit is her belonging to someone. And apparently, I, I would like to track down the novella, but apparently in the book, it's like more like she is like a free woman. And it kind of gave, because I think Truman Capote wrote it in the 1940s. And then this mm-hmm. movie was made in the 60s, obviously, early 60s. Yeah. It was meant to be like giving women the idea that they weren't property. But the way he words it is like very possessive. Yeah, and you'd think that's something while writing that screenplay, you wouldn't use those that kind of word or sentence where I own you pretty much. You you I are think, mine. It's, it should be like you know. I think they were trying to make. Excuse me while I move. I think they were trying to make the because she has this whole analogy with Doc Golightly, her ex-husband. He comes from the farm to try and find her, to take her back to the children, the children's, children's. And she says something like, you always fell in love with the, the things that wanted to be free, like whether it was the hawk with the broken wing yeah. or the bobcat with the broken leg, and then they run to be free. And I'm like, Jesus, like that's not the opposite of like, the opposite of being free is not belonging to something. Like yeah. you can't say a bobcat and a, like a cat. Are the same. And she mentioned that it was that he was the one that made them better where they could be free and touch the sky. Be free and touch the sky. So it was always his hands in it. And yeah, that was a bit ick. Yeah. Again, it's, it's it's an age like milk podcast, but like <laughs> it definitely was something that struck both of us, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that were, a lot of that really wouldn't fly today. It was a lot of that. Like, I mean, we touched on it. You know, it was a lot of... I paid for dinner for you and five friends, so I'm entitled to something. Or um, there's the one scene where she like goes upstairs and actually like goes through the fire escape early on and becomes friends with Paul. There's you just hear someone in the in her apartment banging on the bathroom door, going, "Come on, baby, like don't be like that. Like you know you want something, yeah. something." And it's very Let like, me in. ooh, gross. Yeah, she had to shake him off. Yeah, but I, I didn't feel good about that. No, it's. Overall, I wasn't the biggest fan of this film. Oh, really? Yeah. What would you... We've, we don't really do, like... We're not really, like, rating it, so... Yeah, I'm not rating it. I'm just saying, as an audience How off member, is the milk? Like, would you still drink it? Uh, or would you throw it right out? I don't care for the milk. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I'd even buy it at the store to, to spoil. Right. Yeah, it's just not... And I love all types of movies. I just was not, not Did you see, Could this. you understand where it fits into film history? No. Really? And that's what I'm saying. That's, so that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Why do you think, that, why is this movie so like iconic and it resonates with, you know, younger women? I read some articles that look at any dorm room, they'll have a picture of well, Audrey Hepburn from this film. I was going to say, I think I, it wasn't my picture, but I've lived in quite a few share apartments and houses. And I remember someone I lived with at some point having a black and white picture of like that opening scene where she's like standing through, it's through the window and it's yeah. black and white. It's super iconic. Mm-hmm. And she's holding the bag. Um, I think 
So there's this thing in, in film, and listen, I'm not the one inventing it, and you've definitely heard it before, the manic pixie dream girl. It's like this trope that women play where they're these, you know, free sp- It's like um, the girl from New Girl. What's her name? Ooh, um, Zoe Deschanel yeah. kind of embodies this manic pixie dream girl type dream where it's like she's free and she's quirky and like and then like th- there's tons of literature about it and I think she's kind of one of the earliest iterations of it you know it's definitely the same reason where you know wh- that Sex in the City is so popular mm-hmm. if you go and watch Sex in the City now it's pretty dated okay I think so for the time I think when it this was, was made. Yeah. She was like a young woman living in the yeah. city by herself. You know, she does questionable things. That's something I wrote down that she's actually a criminal. You know, we kind of touched on it with like the mafia stuff. Yeah. She also encourages him to shoplift. Yeah. And that was kind of funny to me. That's something that aged a little bit. And I was like, man, if, uh, you know, people getting shot these days over if a, some if of these a biracial incidents. man such yeah. as yourself <laughs> went to go shoplift, steal a mask. You know, and they're getting, it's kind of interesting how that scene went. They're getting stared down by uh, people in the store the whole time since they're in there. And they're I thought like that was meant to, it. I thought that was meant to be them like feeling like they were watch, being watched. Yeah, that's, that's interesting too. Um, she like picks up the fishbowl with a hat over yeah. the top of it. And it's like, no girl. Puts it back down. But yeah. yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, that, that is interesting. I, I'd have to like look back and see what are like strong, like free women around that time. I do know that. The, direct, the director and producer wanted to have Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe yeah. which we should do a Marilyn Monroe movie because I think Marilyn more than Audrey Hepburn kind of embodied like free sex and yeah. like, you know, she was like, she definitely played like kind of the dumb blonde in many ways, yeah. but like there are so, certain movies from this time period where I think she's a bit more liberated, whereas Audrey Hepburn kind of played it a little bit more safe, a little bit more like needy. Mm-hmm. I think it was... Uh, Truman Capote slated Truman her for one. it because of her, not just like her, you know, the, the freedom that she had, but also the sex appeal. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was reading, but I, I think Audrey Hepburn's super talented, great. Like yeah. I could watch her in anything. I liked her a lot in this movie. I'm just saying like as a film, as a whole, I was just like, it's questionable. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that it is a classic though. Yeah. It's interesting because it's also like, what does it, what does it bring to, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, yeah, certain movies that like become iconic. Cause, but I mean, is it iconic right now? Did it age like milk? It has aged like milk, yeah. I think. So, But me- I still think if you said, oh yeah, on the weekend I watched like Breakfast at Tiffany's, people would be like, oh, I love that movie. Cause they wouldn't remember it. Yeah. The way, you know, I know you, we, hung, um, we hung out and you were like, I was a bit horrified <laughs> by this movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And I watched it with uh, my girlfriend and she said, she's like, I don't know. I hadn't watched it since I was 10. Yeah. And we're kind of discussing it. And she's like, yeah, that's a little bit creepier. That's, yeah. Because yeah. when you're younger, you might not pick up on it too. Yep. And also I think that's why this podcast, like we're doing it. Like, th- you know, people's perception change over time. Mm-hmm. And we now appreciate that this isn't like, like, okay. Yeah. Like the way that they <laughs> kind of talk about women as commodities. Like even, you know, you brought up the agent before mm-hmm. the agent is in the party and he like, is just being really sleazy to all the young women. She's a personal space. That first scene he's in. And I even said it, I was like, man, he needs to back up. He just gets in this girl's face. Yeah. Like a couple inches from her face. And he's like, Hey baby, how you doing? You yeah. Know, I'm, 
this guy. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right, let's talk later. All right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, back up. Back up, guy. Yeah. yeah. It's that. It's also like um, Paul confronts Holly Golightly at the library when he's been trying to find her to tell her that he loves your baby. And she gets up to go to the bathroom and he grabs her, like mm-hmm. really grabs her. There's a lot of like manhandling of women in yep. this movie. And like that's okay. Yeah. And it's not. Not at all. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It's like, but also, do you think that movies like this are kind of a cheap shot? Because obviously it's been, oh my God, it's been 60 years. For since what? Movie. To us to shoot them down? Or just no, to I say just, that they age? Like, no. Yeah, I mean, like, is it is it I is it harder you're... to pull apart like a movie like She's All That? Because that was only like 30 years ago. Yeah. Like, obviously, people have become a lot more sensitive to like, I mean, the yellow face is just not always was not okay do you think it was unacceptable in the time i mean to (laughs) to to asian people yeah yeah. probably to other minorities but i'm just saying like do you think a casting person then would have and i have to say like you know we've in animation you know like we've Mm -hmm. obviously had a big black lives matter movement in the last six months um there have been people stepping aside playing yeah big mouth big mouth yeah so obviously people knew it was wrong, yeah. but it still happens. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I just think, I mean, from Mickey Rooney doing that, you know, whatever that was compared <laughs> to was somebody on Big Mouth right. doing a, that girl's character, which I had no issue with, um, you know, because she's got like a funny high voice. And my whole thing is for that, why does she have to sound a certain way right. to be a little black girl. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but the characterization of that character that Mickey Rooney did is just super out of line, you know? Yeah. Um, even if, and I'm thinking about it now, if they did cast somebody that was Japanese. It's still a shitty character. Well, I'm just saying, I don't think they're going to go that route, you know, with how he was doing it. They're not going to act like that. You know what I mean? Um, so it's just, I don't know. Was that the thing that offended you the most about the movie? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's, I've, you know, I've seen it a lot um, in movies and real life, stuff like that. So it's, it was just like, I guess I'm a little numb to it, but I mean, yeah, that's definitely the most it expensive thing. It's, I, yeah. And I feel like for me, it's kind of hard to shock me right now with some of that stuff. I'm like, yep, yeah, you know, it's fucked up. That's how it goes. Um, but yeah, that was just like, damn, like, wow. They, re- they really, <laughs> they really put this in this movie yeah. Yeah, and let this guy do this. Because um, yeah, that was somebody's somebody's decision. Actually, multiple's decision. That's yeah, a, it went through many yeah. channels. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. And multiple takes. And like, I'm sure at no point was he like, you know what, guys? This is kind of offensive. Yeah. And then for me, like like I was saying, having seen that movie uh, Dragon, that Bruce Lee story, him being in theater, watching this, all these other people laughing, and he's just like, like you know, for real. So I already had that in my mind mm-hmm. before I saw it. And I was like, oh, this is where that was from, you know? What do you think happened to Holly and Paul after the movie? You know, like what do you think happened to their characters after this movie? Because she was going to go marry Um, the Brazilian president. Yep, yep. And, you know, weather's probably a little bit better down there. But (laughs) I think Paul, you know, he had a couple more short stories. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Holly 
hung out for a little bit, but you know, she's a free bird. I think. You think she dips? Do you think they got married? No, nah, I think she dips out, and she doesn't like the, you know, being the, held down, tied down. Yeah, especially with a guy grabbing her wrist and saying, "I own you, or you belong to me." Yeah, and then uh, I think Paul got back with his little sugar mama. You think After so? her husband croaked, mm. this is just oh, you know, no, I'm I just like I'm just painting pictures. No, I here. always like to think like what happened after the you know at the yeah. end. He really didn't write much when we first met him. Yeah, he only had the one book. Yeah, and it was like she kind of was his muse. Mm-hmm. I want to go more positive. I want to say uh, they got married. They moved to somewhere like Long Island. Okay, they had a couple kids. Ah, oh, but then it's kind of sad because she probably became like the housewife. And now she's doing chores when Which she didn't have to do those down do south. The kids were doing that. Right. But what was she going to do when when she got older? Uh, work at Tiffany's? I don't know. Ooh, okay. Yeah. See, that's another thing. They didn't really give her, you know, for being like an independent woman, she was more of like a hustler kind of. Yeah, she didn't have career sk- goals. Exactly. Like, what you know, what is she falling back on if and she's going to date Paul? Where's where's that income her coming? Only, her only character development was romantic yep there was no like what did she want what was her driving desire it was to yeah. see her brother to be free to be rich to be rich and have that you know she liked nice things because she never had a bad time at tiffany's so mm. if she can have somebody that can always provide that feeling and that's what she's searching and hunting for mm. all in all it's like the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah. She was very yeah. sad inside. Well, she probably had a ton of trauma from growing up. Being a up. child bride? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's trying to fill that void, but that's never going to happen. I mean, she needs some, oh, girl needs some therapy and not retail therapy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Even, um, that's so funny because I feel like that is like one of the messages, like, nothing bad happens at <laughs> Tiffany's. Like, commercialism is great spend your money and you'll be happy yeah come on down you know like when you get excited like when your amazon package rocks up you're like happy yeah. for 10 minutes and you're yes. like i'm sad again because yeah. it's a pandemic <laughs> but no i mean she was like they kind of reference it like before she got married like she was in a really bad situation so like how fucked up did she have to be to have the kind of relationship that she had with men yeah and to have the life that she kind of had where that was acceptable for her right. to to repeat over and over again. And like her, um, I don't want to say she was like airy or whatever, but she'd be like, what day is it? What yeah. time is it? Oh, really? It's Thursday. Oh, my God. It's Thursday at 4 p.m. Oh, darling, we must do this. And oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they kind of fetishized her a lot, like made her childlike, made her very like yeah. quirky. Like her phone was in her suitcase. Yep. yep. It, it was almost like, yeah, she was dodging responsibilities. Yeah. So I can't, you're right, like I can't see her becoming a wife. Yeah, so that's why I was like, no, she's, I don't think Holly and Paul worked out in the end. But, so final verdict, do you think it aged like milk? I do think it aged like milk. This is a part of the podcast where we do a quick shout out to a random member of the cast and or crew. Mm -hmm. Who are you Mm -hmm. going with, David? Um, I am going to go with James Field party guest uncredited i hope he had a nice time on set <laughs> yeah. um can you he, see who he is yeah so he doesn't have a picture but um this actor known for south pacific in 1958 and afro uh, sorry 
Alfred Hitchcock Presents, 1955, and How to Marry a Millionaire in 57. Ew. So, you know, it looks like he had a somewhat decent career. Good for him. What's his name? His name is James Field. Shout out to your player. Shout out James Jimbo to his friends. Uh, mine is Frank Inn, and he was the animal trainer for Cat. And uh, I'll give you his little bio. <laughs> Frank Inn was a legendary animal trainer whose menagerie won a total of 40 Patsy Awards, the animal kingdom's equivalent of the Oscars. The Patsy Award is given out by the American Humane Society, the American Humane Society's Hollywood branch, and stands for Picture Animal Top Star of the Year. He worked on a ton of shit. He worked on Benji Takes a Dive at Marineland. It was a a TV short. Wow. He worked on My Three Sons, uh, which was a lot. He did a lot of episodes. Um, The Beverly Hillbillies he worked on. Okay. Okay. He did some shit. Star Trek. My Favorite Martian. Yeah. He he was like that go-to dude. He was the go-to. You know, in the last one, we talked about, like, have you got a hacky sack guy? Yeah. Uh, Frank would be your go-to animal, animal man. I wonder, did he, you know, specify in any certain you know, dog, cat, horse? Did he work on Mr. Ed, anything like that? Or is he all-knowing animal trainer guy? I'm looking. It does say Orangey the Cat was Frank Inn's big breakthrough as an independent winning the second Patsy Award ever handed out. He uh, He won for playing cat in Breakfast at Tiffany's, the homeless feline described as a poor slob without a name. Check your fridge. Make sure that milk is taken out. Yeah, because gross milk is gross. And yeah, that's our podcast. Hey. Hey. Next up, we are doing... Avatar. Stay tuned.